Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, a show where we take all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we'll relay that back to you for a bit of healthy banter and discussion for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending on which platform you choose to follow us on. And of course there's no race weekend for us Formula One fans, obviously we've had that triple header recently which has been absolutely hectic plenty of talking points plenty of things to discuss most importantly though the championship does seem to be taking shape of course we will talk about the british grand prix in the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast but in this episode we're going to be doing a little bit of a news roundup of all the latest talking points and of course some of the big news that has hit us in the last week or so and joining me on this episode once again is my co-host mr courtney pine courtney looking good as always and sporting a very, very special attire, of course, like myself as well, for those of you watching on YouTube. But first of all, how are you feeling this Monday? Uh, or it's not Monday, I should say, this um, Wednesday afternoon. Losing track of your days there, mate. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> do you know what? It's, I've not had much sleep last night. And Why? Why, why, did, you, why did you miss out on the sleep? Did something happen? Let's just say I was up late last night celebrating um, a pretty hmm. monumental event for oh, really? our country and uh, as you can <laughs> see by sporting our attire and um yeah i mean last night for those of you obviously that won't have known um or weren't following in the euro 2020 championships england are through to the final of euro 2020 where they will face the azuri the italian team and you know what after last night's game courtney i've never been more excited more nervous you know getting the full variety of emotions all in one hit it was incredible and needless to say after that final whistle went where we eventually won the game it was just an absolutely incredible feeling and relief as well for a lot of people i think we just enjoy the moment 
yeah, I'm, I, I didn't expect it. I didn't expect it to ever happen, you know, because we've been we've been so close so far on many occasions, and it was it was a massive relief. And you know what, Sunday's going to be special regardless of the result. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, whilst we will be focusing on F1, of course, the attention will have to shift towards the England team on Sunday for that final against Italy. I mean, we're so close now to winning the tournament. Um, it will be absolutely amazing if it does happen, if we get the result. If it doesn't and we come up short, it will be devastating. But, you know, it's been a fantastic summer for football fans and the England team in general. So, uh, you know, bring it on. I'm excited. Hopefully it goes our way. But we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But of course, we're going to be moving on to all things Formula One now, guys, whilst we are excited about other things, of course. We, <laughs> I mean, who couldn't be? But um, it, I mean, on the subject, I think, you know, not to put F1 fans off this, because of course, there are going to be a lot of people that aren't English that do tune into this. And of course, we love your patronage and how much you follow our podcast, regardless of where you're from around the world. You know, we've had some great feedback from so many people all over the world and it's and it really means a lot to us because when we started this we thought it was just going to be like friends and family that listen to us or maybe mm. some colleagues or a few people in the f1 community local to us but to hear that so many of you have enjoyed this podcast and weighed in and offered feedback and you know chimed into the debates from all corners of the earth um it, it really does mean a lot to us so of course if you're not english and you're not you're not really interested in the euros or you're italian and you would rather see them win the euros well Best of luck to you, but we'll have to uh, politely agree to disagree on who we would want to win the tournament anyway. But that being said, it's been a huge boost for this country after what we've been through the last year or so. So hopefully that can continue. Uh, Nicely said, Adam. Nicely yeah, said. I, I think that's the best way to put it. I think we've needed this and it's really come at a good time for us. So hopefully this will continue. But anyway, Formula One stuff now, I promise we're not going to go back to football. Um <laughs> Of course, on Sunday, if we do win, then, you know, Wednesday, well, the podcast, when it comes out Wednesday for the British Grand Prix, it's going to be even more buzzing. But anyway, F1 news, big, big story that come out of the Austrian Grand Prix. Of course, Lewis Hamilton signing a two-year extension going into the 2022 and 2023 season for the Mercedes team. Courtney, we spoke about this in the last episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, um, where we were reviewing the Austrian Grand Prix, just to reiterate your thoughts on this how significant is this not just for Hamilton and Mercedes but for Formula One in general that the world champion the seven-time world champion the most successful driver of all time is continuing into the sport for at least another two seasons well yeah for um for Lewis it's massive I think he's really relishing the multiple challenges not only the new challenge by Max Verstappen but the challenge with these new regulations I think you know Lewis does get criticized for been distracted by other projects away from Formula One, but there's no there's no denying his actual commitment to the sport and actual passion he has for it. Because let's be honest, if he was that way inclined, he would have um, he would have left the sport years. He would have left he would have left the sport when he got that seventh world championship. He didn't do that. He's still he's still keen to hang around. And yeah, in terms of what Lewis brings Formula One, he he does bring a lot a bigger fan base. Absolutely. I mean, I, I look at the views on this podcast, Adam, and when Lewis wins a race, we get thousands of views. And when Lewis doesn't, we we struggle to get a couple hundred. So we, we're looking at the data and the data suggests that Lewis Hamilton doing well in F1 draws in crowds. He certainly does. And I think Lewis, 
is arguably the most device, you know, divisive figure in Formula One today. In a weird way, it's it's almost like Marmite. You either love it or you hate it. And no matter what your stance is on Lewis Hamilton, he definitely draws out an opinion from an F1 fan, whether it be a good one or a bad one, for whatever reason, justified or not. And you're right to point out, you know, there's we are, you know, we're not idiots. We we've noticed that you guys absolutely do enjoy us discussing topics on Lewis Hamilton and discussing reviews when he does do well or exciting races that he's heavily involved in. And I suppose, you know, going forward with that, Lewis, obviously the huge figure that he is in the sport, not just on the track, but off it as well on a humanitarian perspective. You know, he's done so much for that. And, you know, it, it goes without saying that news like Lewis Hamilton signing a new two-year extension to stay in F1. And when, of course, there are probably other ventures that he could dive into if he liked. Um, would re- it, it really does mean a lot to the sport. Stefano Domenicali was talking about Lewis's significance in the sport and he was singing his praises and how great a day this was for F1, knowing that their most successful driver is still going to be sticking around. Now, of course, you've already mentioned, Courtney, that Max Verstappen, is probably one of the biggest reasons why Lewis is sticking around because obviously this fresh new challenge that Lewis is now facing, probably not enjoying too much at the moment because obviously five races now since Lewis last won a Grand Prix, it's the longest drought he's had, uh, I think since 2016 Mm. when he was with Nico Rosberg. So it's quite a huge blow that Red Bull have laid to Mercedes in this regard. And of course, Verstappen to Lewis respectively, who himself could have easily won the last five races if it wasn't for what happened in Baku. Um, But, you know, all that being said, if we go back to uh, December, I think it was December last year or January last season, we were talking about would Lewis Hamilton sign a new deal? There was at a point where we almost got to preseason testing where Lewis didn't have a contract in place. And then, of course, not long before that, he signed a one-year extension to stay with the team, which, of course, drew out loads of questions from everybody in F1, us included. You know, was Lewis signing a one-year deal because he only wanted to be in the sport for one more season? Was he signing a one-year deal because he wanted to see how the 2022 project was going along before he committed long-term later on or other reasons? Um, In your opinion, Courtney, why do you think, now that Lewis has signed that two-year extension, why do you think he only signed a one-year extension before that back in uh, the early parts of 2021? I think back at that stage, he was in a very interesting phase in his career where he's probably debating you know once he gets a championship number seven he's probably thinking you know where do I go on from here because once you've broken most of the records it's obviously difficult to find a ceiling to to aim for but I just think the timing of it with the new regulations I've already said but the new regulation changes coming in and of course the the, the new challenge from Max Verstappen is giving Lewis a new sort of lease of life and something to obviously something someone to aim to beat and I think he's probably getting more involved in the development of the car yeah he's always been involved but I think when he's coming towards his latter years of his career I think he's gaining more of an interest so we noticed him recently doing simulator work he, he was never seen you'd never go near a simulator um, in recent years but now he's really getting into the the technical part of Formula One and maybe he's considering hanging around in a in a sort of different role of Formula One once he retires no, absolutely. And I think F1 is able, to, you know, Lewis is able to use Formula One and his stance or suppose his position in Formula One, if you like, to try and, you know, create 
better causes and try to increase diversity. He's often said that there's a lot that needs to be done to kind of achieve the desired outcome, if you like, from a diversity and inclusion perspective. And he's very heavily involved in that project. Um, for me, I kind of draw attention to what Total Wolf was saying in that, um, you know, himself and Lewis obviously had bouts with COVID at the end of last season. Famously, Lewis missed the Sakia Grand Prix because he had COVID and Total Wolf had COVID during the winter break as well. So it really prevented a, a scenario where the two of them could sit down and thrash out a new contract as they've done a few times in the past already. And, you know, Lewis himself has said he doesn't like signing a new deal in uh, in season. He likes to wait till the season is over and then, you know, you can fresh out all the negotiations, which he does do himself. He doesn't have any representatives to do that for him other than perhaps for the legal stuff. But, um, you know, he's a driver that very much is heavily involved in his own future and everything that comes with that. So it probably created a scenario that perhaps we didn't take um, for granted, what we probably took for granted at the time, that it just wasn't possible for Lewis and the Mercedes Daimler group, including Total Wolf and uh, Ola Kalenius, the chairman at Mercedes, of course, was at the Austrian Grand Prix last weekend. And we'll talk a bit about that a bit later on um, to kind of just sit down and thrash out this contract and then eventually sign that new deal. That has now happened in the summer break. And I think we talked, about, well, before the summer break, we mentioned before there were rumours going around that this was always the plan. This was on the cards and that Lewis was always wanting to stay with Mercedes. There wasn't really a worry that Lewis was going to say, you know what, I'm not really enjoying this. I just want to leave and that's it. Um, there was always the idea that Lewis was going to be at the team. So I suppose you know, all the concerns and all the worries that we might have had were just all for nothing in the end. And it's a good thing, too, because I think a lot of people have um, raised doubts and concerns over Lewis's um, not necessarily commitment, but his desire to stay in the sport longer. I mean, there's not many records that he hasn't already achieved that is possible for him to break. Um, you know, I mean, how much more can Lewis do? I mean, in your mind, Courtney, would you say that this could potentially be Lewis's last contract that he has signed? Or do you feel that perhaps there's another one beyond that? Because he's 36 now. Mm. Um, so, you know, he's not old in F1 terms. Of course, Kimi Raikkonen um, is in his 40s. Alonso very closely coming there. So Lewis has still got a few more years in him, you'd say. But, um, I mean, where are your thoughts in this, with Lewis Hamilton in his future? I think he's mainly intrigued to see what happens with the regulation changes. I think, you know, Lewis has always registered a new challenge and these these regulation changes are massive. I think we we talk about 2022 a hell of a lot on this podcast, but we do it for good reason. I, I, I hope people understand how, how much of a big deal these changes are. It could potentially level the playing field or pretty much level the playing field if the big teams don't get it right. So it's massive. And I think he's really enjoying the challenge. Um, and also, I do believe that the next two years could be his final years if Mercedes do well from 2022. Because if, say, they were to be the team to beat in 2022 and possibly 2023, Lewis would then go on to get a possible eighth or ninth world championship. And in terms of proving any sort of points or breaking any records. He would have done it all by that point. So I do believe if Mercedes do well in 2022, I do think this will be Lewis's final contract. Mm. I mean, there's always 
the inevitable discussion about where Lewis's level is at this time in his career. You could raise the argument that perhaps Lewis, at the very, very least, may be just below his peak. And mm. we may have seen this season at the point where he's reached his absolute peak because, you know, the start of the season, you know, there was the arguments, did Mercedes have the fastest car? Um, it seemed that Red Bull had a better qualifying car. Mercedes had a better race car. But we saw at the start of this season, Lewis putting together his best start to the season after the Spanish Grand Prix. And some of the performances he put in were exemplary. And, you know, you could argue that Lewis is still at his peak, if not like 99, 98% of his absolute maximum potential in his career. And there's always the inevitable question of how long Lewis can sustain that. And of course, at which point does Lewis's peak start to drop um, as he gets older and older? Um, where do you see that sort of um, that sort of argument going, Courtney? How far is Lewis still driving at his absolute 100% maximum ability? Or do you feel that we may start to see that level drop in the next couple of years? Because there's something Lewis himself has actually mentioned that he is concerned about. And once he doesn't feel it's happened yet, he mm. feels that it could happen within the next couple of years. And that may, you know, influence exactly. his decision-making on whether to stay even longer than the next two seasons. I think one of the reasons why it's such a shame we haven't had a tight championship battle in terms of uh, Red Bull Mercedes being closed is that we can't actually fully answer that question because Max Verstappen is the guy to beat at the moment. But if Mercedes and Red Bull on a similar, had a similar package then we'd be able to sort of determine the level that Lewis is at. We've kind of been robbed of that. But, you know, I, you're right. At the start of the season, Lewis did put in some great performances. So it shows that he, he does still have it in him. But it'd be very interesting to see how he reacts. Coming up against the guy who I believe will dominate the next generation. Uh, it just seems that we're having sort of similar to what we saw with Alonso and Schumacher there's a possibility we could be seeing this happen again with uh, with Max and Lewis. Mm, absolutely. It almost feels like a little bit of a changing of the guard moment that we're experiencing. But, you know, Schumacher obviously had another... I mean, the only real season he had to kind of fight Alonso was in 2006. 2005 was an absolute write-off for Ferrari. They were nowhere. Um, I suppose in a way that what Mercedes are experiencing are kind of similar to what Ferrari experienced that season and how rules changed... Um, so emphatically to target their strengths and obviously to try and slow them down. And that's what Mercedes are seeing this season um, to a degree, particularly with the floor. Um, yeah. I mean, it seems that what Lewis is going through at the moment, it seems that there's no concerns over his ability. I certainly don't think there are any concerns over that, but there's always going to be an eye on time. And you, no matter how fit you are, no matter how good you are, no matter the diet that you live on, of course, Lewis championing all of the great things to kind of, um, preserve the longevity of one's career time does catch up to all of us and of course we see saw a little bit of that in Fernando Alonso although he seems to be recouping his level to a degree it can be Raikkonen it's happened it could have already happened in a way to Sebastian Vettel to a degree as well a bit earlier than others so we'll just have to see how that pans out but of course as far as the sport is concerned it seems to be still in good hands in the knowledge that Lewis Hamilton is still going to be sticking around at least until 2023. Whether he goes beyond that, we'll have to wait and see. But it certainly is good news for F1 fans and F1 on everyone involved in the sport. Um, moving on to the next 
topic of discussion. We've got one seat confirmed at Mercedes for next season. Who is going to be in the other? And the reason why I feel we, we should talk about this in this episode is because it just seems that there could be the possibility that we're going to find out the identity of Lewis Hamilton's teammate for next season at the British Grand Prix coming up next weekend. Will it be Valtteri Bottas, who's been there for five years already, or will it be George Russell getting his long-awaited promotion into the Mercedes team? Courtney, um, I put out a poll on the DNF1 Twitter page um, last week asking our followers uh, who they thought would be in Mercedes in 2022. Not surprisingly, 80% went with George Russell on this poll. That's a lot of responses on that. Um, 20% went with someone else. So no, okay. nobody thinks that Valtteri Bottas is going to be in that seat next season. And is that quite alarming uh, for some of our followers to vote so emphatically for George? Or do you feel that perhaps they're right and that it seems inevitable that George is going to get this seat? Well, we've discussed this earlier in the season. When we saw Valtteri seem to be so low on confidence, it was, it's, it, was driving, it was driving like a guy that just received bad news. And I've, I've just got this inkling that it's been, it's been widely known within the team that George Russell could be replacing Valtteri Bottas next season. We have seen an improvement in Valtteri's form. He's still not obviously at the, at the level to compete with um, regularly with Lewis and Max. But we have seen an improvement in his form recently. And it, this could be down to one or two things. It could either be down to acceptance, the fact that he knows he's leaving and he just needs to put in good performances to earn a decent seat at another team next season. And then, yeah, the other one is that he's fighting to remain at Mercedes. So that's why we're seeing this upturn in form. But I just believe that George Russell will get that seat. And, you know, we've, we've seen with, with George Russell, he's, he, he's, he's almost got points on two separate occasions this season with a Williams that has no right whatsoever to be near the points. George mm. Russell is ready for that seat. And you know what? The F1 community know it too. And that's why you get these kind of results when we put polls out like this. It's true. I mean, there is certainly a sense of inevitability about this with George Russell in that it does seem that he's going to end up in a Mercedes seat sooner rather than later. Um, I mean, there are so many pros and cons to go with one drive or the other. You know, Valtteri Bottas is a well-known entity at Mercedes. You pretty much know what you're going to get in him. You know, he's a very reliable team player. He works well with the team. He's rather harmonious with a teammate like Lewis Hamilton, who very much likes to operate with the environment that he's currently in, which is obviously an important factor. I don't think Mercedes are going to be bargained into, you know, having Valtteri in the team just to keep Lewis happy. I'm pretty sure that Lewis does not... If he did before, he certainly doesn't carry that level of influence on his teammate now, who that's going to be, um, given that Mercedes have so many options for the future and obviously have to think post-Hamilton. And, you know, that post-Hamilton element perhaps is, you know, the biggest influencer in all of this. You know, Mercedes have obviously been looking for a successor for Lewis Hamilton for some time. Evidently, they've realised it's probably not going to be Valtteri Bottas. He's had plenty of time in the car to showcase to them that he could be the future of the team as perhaps he was once touted to be. But on so many occasions, Valtteri has always been good against Lewis in spells. 
he's never really been able to sustain a consistent level of competition to Lewis to make Mercedes feel so good, not just Mercedes, but also against other teams as well, like Red Bull this season. You know, if Valtteri was beating Perez on a regular basis or perhaps putting Verstappen under huge pressure, then Mercedes think, you know what? This guy's actually doing a good job. And if Lewis goes, okay, Valtteri's not going to be at the level of Hamilton, but a little bit below that we can accept because that margin is still good enough for us to win. So they turn their attention to someone like George Russell, for example, who, you know, we had that opportunity to see him in Sakir, which is quite rare when you look at drivers trying to get into a seat when he's already driven it on one occasion and had an incredible race, should have won, of course. And perhaps if he did win that race, we wouldn't be having this argument. Perhaps we'd already know. Um, but the last two races that he's had in Austria and Styria, respectively, have kind of helped reaffirm this idea that George Russell is special you know a lot of these guys are very very good and very quick but there are a few that really do show glimpses that give us this um you know this idea or showcase to us that they are potential future world champions and in someone like george in this next generation you know we we've talked about the verstappens the norrises the leclerc's the signs but george is absolutely up there if not up there with perhaps up there with Leclerc and Verstappen and maybe even Norris as well, you know, in the future. So we have to take all that into consideration in a car that should be nowhere near that. His regular Q2 appearances have been amazing. He's mm -hmm. made Q3 for the first time in his career, which I predicted in our preview. And I'm going to keep say, claiming that because, you know, George delivered and I'm absolutely mega proud of him, but you know, it's ridiculous to, you know, we talk about Q2 appearances. If it's an expectation, it really isn't in the car that he's in and he's doing it in every race so mercedes have got themselves a young driver here who is desperate for that opportunity i think he's good enough to get in that seat i think he's ready i think mercedes have to use this opportunity now to put george in that car alongside lewis not necessarily to challenge lewis although i'm hoping he will do but to you know let give mercedes that comfort of knowing that their future's in good hands is someone like george russell and you know, if it's not, we'll know. Well, I reckon Mercedes are probably aware of some of the points that we've raised already. If there was a plateau in Lewis's form due to his age, they know they'd have a driver in George Russell that could get them wins and challenge and challenge for a championship if, if Lewis was to start, you know, as I said, his form was to start, would start to dip. George Russell is capable. Look, we, it was it was one race, and the twenty twenty car, the the twenty twenty Mercedes was exceptional. But let's not take any anything away from George. He, he went into a, a new team. Or he, I know he's in the Mercedes Academy. He went into a new car last minute, and almost went on to win a race. And he outclassed he outclassed Bottas. I think that's you don't want to define things in one moment. But he he joined from Williams, and outclassed Bottas. I don't think we can understate the significance of that. George Russell is ready for that seat. And you know what? I think, as I've already said, the majority of the fan base know it too. And that's what the fan base want to see. They want to be seeing George Russell with Lewis Hamilton at Mercedes next season. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think there's always the risk that if Mercedes don't flick the switch and decide to give George that opportunity, that, um, you know, another team may present him with a better option. You know, there's no denying the fact that other teams will be keeping an eye on the Russell situation. And whilst seats at those respective outfits are kind of secure, at least for next season at the, at the most, some a bit longer than that, 
if an opportunity like George Russell becomes available, a rival like Red Bull or maybe even Ferrari to a degree or McLaren. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, McLaren are kind of hunkered down for the next three or four years now that Norris has signed that new deal. But of course, opportunities come and go all the time. So things can change in Formula One, like a domino effect. We saw last year with Sebastian Vettel, how that affected the driver market so early on. So there are options available, but I just feel that Mercedes, they kind of been delaying this long enough. How much longer? Are they going to persist with a known entity, which, of course, has been very, very reliable and very good for them for so many years. But now we're entering an age where that's not going to be good enough anymore for them. Um, And they need to use the benefit of Lewis's experience to kind of hone the raw talent and ability that perhaps someone like George Russell has, because once Lewis goes... George is going to be on his own and there will be the expectation that George is going to be the team leader, if you like, in this team and be the man to take the team forward, perhaps for the next decade in the same way that Lewis has now. So there's a lot riding on this. As I said, Ola Kalenius was at the Austrian Grand Prix. You know, perhaps it was a celebration of Lewis's new deal and obviously wanted to see how things were going on to see his new driver, if you like, in Lewis Hamilton, how he was getting on. But um perhaps to finalise an agreement for who was going to be in that team next season. Of course, we'll find out in due course. Yeah, I'd like um, to mention one last thing, Adam. Uh, I, I think Verstappen's form is, and Red Bull actually, Red Bull's form is another factor in this. It is probably widely believed that if Mercedes continued to dominate and Lewis was to retire, Max Verstappen would then join Mercedes because Mercedes obviously been the last, last few years, they've been the team to beat. I reckon now there's been, with this upturn of form for Red Bull, I think Mercedes have accepted that that's sort of less likely to happen now, which makes it more likely for George Russell to take that seat. Mm. That is a good point. And if I was at Red Bull, bearing that in mind, I would probably try to cash in on what Verstappen is doing right now and try to get a new long-term deal in front of him because I think he's still got that deal up until 2023 unless I'm mistaken. So, yeah, and and of course, there's performance incentives there or get-out clauses. You know, Red Bull contracts are obviously quite famous for having uh, release clauses, if you like, if they're not able to reach certain performance targets. Of course, that's certainly not up for debate this season, but that's how they lost Sebastian Vettel to Ferrari. And of course, they don't want to lose Max Verstappen. Absolutely not. Maybe more so than Seb Vettel. That was one that they were prepared to let go. But, um, you know, of course, history will say that that still worked out okay for Red Bull. If you think about it, um, Seb, Seb didn't win a title at Ferrari, so they didn't really lose much on it. Um, but they, as I said, that's a really good point. And I think we're going to find out very, very soon. I suppose the last question before we move on to the next part is, you know, if Mercedes do announce their new driver lineup at the British Grand Prix, which, of course, if it's George Russell, makes sense. British crowd, you know, everyone's um, well, most of us, you know, our moods are going to be in a good place. Um, I went to what's going on elsewhere. Um, is it is it a good idea for Mercedes to announce their driver lineup so soon, going into the second half of the season, assuming that Valtteri Bottas is not the guy that gets along, announced alongside Lewis? Um, or do you feel that they should probably wait till the end of the season? I'm thinking about the championship mm. here, because if they announce that George Russell's replacing Bottas, there's always the risk that Bottas may not necessarily want to drive at his absolute best because he's not going to be at the outfit. Of course, you can flip that and say, well, Bottas needs to now audition for any remaining six that are there and needs to give the best performance he can. 
I think it's actually the fair thing to do for Valtteri, to give him time to find a new seat. I do believe that if this happens, it'll be a straight swap. I think Valtteri will go to Williams and then obviously George Russell will join Mercedes. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it does make sense for that sort of thing to happen and it probably will. I'm just wondering what other options Williams have. Of course, they've got a there's a driver like Bottas that they could have on the payroll. That's great. And he's a very, very good driver. Obviously, they'll benefit from his wisdom and experience. But of course, there is the need to bring in a young driver, perhaps like a Dan Tictum or a Jack Aiken, or maybe a Pierre Gasly if he becomes available as well. Let's not forget him. Um, amongst other drivers that might be trying to get back in as well. So there's so many options. So Williams will have to keep an eye on what's going on here. I feel that there's going to be a need to replace George Russell at some point. It may be next season. Um, Latifi's seat is safe as houses, providing he can keep putting the money into the team. So no issues there. Um, but let us know, guys, what do you think? Do you think that George Russell is the right choice for Mercedes? Do you think that Valtteri Bottas should stay in the team for another season? Where are your thoughts on this? And of course, let us know what you think about the news that Lewis Hamilton is staying on with the team for another two seasons to come. Other news that's been going on this week, Courtney, the uh, obviously F1 have announced that the Australian Grand Prix, unfortunately, is going to be cancelled for this year. So for the second year in a row, we're not going to be going to Melbourne. And it's such a shame that we're not going to be able to go there. I mean, Australia historically been one of the best countries at handling COVID. But of course, of late, there seems to have been some complications, which has created a surge in cases. And obviously, they can't guarantee the safety of the fans and the F1 paddock traveling to the event later on in the year in October, I believe it was. Um, obviously, it's a massive shame. Uh, what are your thoughts on hearing that news, Courtney? Are you disappointed that it's going to happen? Or, you know, is it something you just understand under the circumstances? You know what? I do enjoy Melbourne. I, I do prefer it to be the first race of the season because there's something about having the brand new cars on a fast and flowy street circuit. This is something. This seems like a great fit, but it is a is a circuit and obviously an atmosphere that will be missed. But I think sometimes when we're living in the UK right now, where the vaccination program has gone so well, and I'm not going to go too deep into COVID politics because we're we're talking about Formula One. But we're, the, the vaccination program is kind of keeping deaths under control compared to other countries. I've, I think we sometimes forget that not every country's vaccination programs have been as successful. And maybe Australia are one of these countries and they can't afford, they can't afford to be risking the lives of, of their people just for a sporting event. So in the scheme of things, it makes sense. Hmm. I mean, we go back to last season, and obviously the Australian Grand Prix was the curtain raiser. And of course, we had the old debacle of will they, won't they? All the teams were there ready to get going. There was a sense of uh, concern and caution that perhaps we were we shouldn't have been there. I think all the drivers were saying, look, you know, if they say it's safe, let's go. I think it was only Lewis Hamilton that actually said, I don't know why we're here. We shouldn't be here. It's not safe. Um, and then, of course, we had fans turning up to the track for free practice only to be told, moments later that the event was cancelled owing to what was going on with COVID. I think a few members of the McLaren team tested positive the night before. Um, it was a big mess. And I think the circuit organisers at Melbourne have obviously learned a lot more harshly than some of the others who had a lot more time on their side about 
how they should be handling this COVID pandemic situation. Of course, it's still quite a big issue around the world, even if some countries, as we said, like ours, that has been had a very successful vaccination program, which has really helped to curb COVID as much as it possibly can. Of course, we're still a long way from um, seeing the end of this, as so many people are. But it does seem that you know, in a place like Australia, it's not as straightforward and that. And of course, safety is paramount. So I don't I don't think there's any reason to say that, oh, perhaps they were, you know, doing not necessarily the perhaps were being a bit too cautious. I don't think that's right mm. to say. Um, but it is a shame that we're not going to be going there. I, I mean, I love the track at Melbourne and I know they've made some changes, of course, to increase the overtaking. Uh, I looked at the track layout and I wasn't sure if that was going to be the case. Um consider where they were going to make the changes but um we'll have to wait and see but i always enjoy um melbourne as i said it, it's the curtain raiser corny it's the season opener it's kind of um that feeling that f1 is back mm-hmm. you know that euphoria that comes with that and it just makes sense to go to a place like australia of course bahrain has done a great job in the last couple of years when it's had to be the season opener um for different reasons but as I said, it's such a shame we're not going to be going back there. The Australian fans, very passionate bunch, of course. They would have been able to see Daniel Ricciardo in the McLaren going round there, perhaps at a time where Daniel gets on top of the car and he's competing potentially for a podium, um, which would be a shame because I, I don't think he's ever been on the podium. I think he got there once and then was disqualified. Disqualified, 2014. Yeah, which yeah. was uh, very devastating for him and the Australian fans. So, unfortunately, it's a shame we're not going to get to see that, but... You know, who knows? Next year when we go there, McLaren might have a race winning car in their hands and maybe Danny Rick will be up there competing for it. So um, hopefully things will change in that regard for the better. But now that the Australian Grand Prix, of course, has been cancelled, that does leave a slot in the calendar that may need to be filled. Stefano Domenicali has mentioned that, um, you know, they're trying to have at least 20 races this season on the calendar. And of course, there are some doubts over a few races like the Japanese Grand Prix. Um although they will probably try to push that through for loads of different reasons. Uh, the Brazilian Grand Prix, definitely one that I think will get cancelled. I think, oh, yeah. Mm. Agreed. Yeah. So, you know, so we could potentially end up with 20 races on the calendar, but, the, but are there any other races, Courtney, that you feel could fill those slots that might be vacated towards the end of the season? And, and let's not forget China as well. You know, that was cancelled last season. There's obviously, mm. we're not sure what's going to go on there, but... Um, if any, what races would you do you think might be used to go on the Canada, potentially a doubleheader somewhere, or perhaps a, a track that we haven't been to in a while that we could introduce into this Canada as we've done last season? Yeah, I reckon they could probably do doubleheaders of circuits that they're able to have at that particular time of the season. So, for example, if a European race was to be scrapped, you'd see a doubleheader like we saw with Austria. So, but then if it's if it's if a race is cancelled in an in in Asia, then it makes sense to have another race on that continent. I think it's easier to get the races scheduled for Europe, given that obviously most of the Formula One well every Formula One team is based in Europe, so it's easier logistically to get it done in Europe. But it doesn't make sense if they have a race in Europe. To then come back um, in in Asia, to then come back and have a race in Europe. So that's going to be a dilemma, and I think that's where there could be difficulties in actually getting races to go ahead. Whereas in a European season, it's a lot easier to come up with replacements. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've heard rumours that um, there seems to be a willingness from a lot of people to have a second race in Austin, 
uh, to have a double header there, which kind of makes sense if you think about it. I don't think that's a bad thing either. It's a very good circuit, provides lots of entertainment. So I'm sure the fans will be happy to go to Austin twice. I'm sure Liberty Media will be very happy to have a second race in America. Um, one track that I would like to see used, or potentially if one returned to, is uh, at Sepang in Malaysia. And uh, that would be a really good track to go to. Uh, I think that's a track that was obviously off the calendar for a few years now. A lot of F1 fans, myself included, kind of miss that circuit. I think it's a really good circuit to go to. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of ticks all the boxes towards the end of the season in that Asian demographic as well. And it's a good circuit to go to. And who knows, it could provide plenty of excitement depending on the weather, as we've seen so often at Malaysia. It does provide oh, yeah. that when element. It, when it rains, it rains. Mm, absolutely. I, I always fondly remember... 2009 the Malaysian yeah. Grand Prix there that you know Jensen Button and Sebastian Vettel obviously dominating the time in Braun and Red Bull respectively and of course that huge monsoon downpour which ended the race a bit early and the drivers got three quarters point or half the points because they didn't complete uh 75% of the race distance it just completely got washed out and um so uh you know it's a circuit I think we've all enjoyed watching in the past for F1 races and I'd love to go back there but of course we'll have to wait and see how it develops um what F1 has in mind. And of course, if there are other races that might drop out later on in the year, it's still a long way away. I mean, we're talking October, November time. Um, they still haven't even finished building the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix yet. That's still taking shape from what I understand. I'm sure that'll be completed on time. These things usually don't go according to plan, but um, there's so many it's unknowns. Street circuits. Yeah, it's, it's the street circuits that are sort of under the most risk for obvious reasons because they're they're taking place in dense populations. It's easy for a race to take place in the in the Austrian hills where there isn't a dense population, but we've seen Singapore get cancelled. We saw Monaco get cancelled last year. We've seen Canada get cancelled twice now. And it is just because of the um the population density. So it, it does make sense for a track like Melbourne to be cancelled. Mm. And it seems to be changing every five minutes or so. I mean, we had Turkey brought in to replace Canada and that got cancelled. And then they brought Turkey back um, a few months later. So, you know, as I said, we, we talked about European options as well. But, you know, it's not I mean, I'm not going to say it's not possible because we did this last year and it was very, very successful for a lot of reasons to get a 17 uh, race calendar in a season, which is incredible effort from everybody involved under the circumstances, considering at uh, this time last year, we were talking about potential just having eight races, which would have been the minimum to have a championship. Um, you know, to the point where I think we've had 26 races in the last calendar year, which is incredible from everybody involved to have that many races in a season, literally one every other week. So, um, you know, it, it's great to see, but I just feel another European race not necessarily an impractical solution, but I just feel that we need to be looking at logistically keeping everybody sort of in the same place if we can. Mm -hmm. So somewhere like an Austin doubleheader or perhaps um, another race like at Malaysia or somewhere, or perhaps go back to Bahrain, maybe go to the Sakir layout, which of course provided an excellent race last season. Maybe we could go back there again. Um, a lot of options, but we'll have to wait and see what F1 do on this. Um just trying to think of the last thing I wanted to talk about before we signed off, Corny. Um, I don't know if you heard recently about um, obviously you remember in Austria they were doing the drivers were doing a lot of testing around oh, yeah. the new construction of the new yeah. rear tires on Pirelli. So it turns out that these tests have been relatively successful, and the FIA and the World Motorsport Council have now announced that these tires, these new construction of tires, are going to be used from the British Grand Prix for the rest of the season. So. 
Very interesting. I mean, it seemed inevitable that this was going to happen. But um, from what I understand, these tyres are a lot more robust in construction um, and they should be less susceptible to failures from what we saw in Baku. And um, I asked this before and I'm going to ask this again, Courtney, because I find this really baffling in that if Pirelli conducted this internal investigation following what happened in Baku for Lance Stroll and Max Verstappen respectively, and they found that there was no fault with the construction of the tyre or the way that the tyre ratted, almost to imply that the blame was at Red Bull and Aston Martin for running their tyres at lower pressures than what was mandated during the race, although they couldn't prove it. And we've had, um, uh, you know, an, in an increased amount of testing and sensors put on these tyres to make sure this hasn't happened. We've increased pressures. By putting through these changes that they have, so soon and now we've got these more robust constructed tires for the british grand prix onwards surely the blame that they've laid at red bull and aston martin isn't really well founded on the evidence that they've provided because if you increase the tire pressures to try and uh, and stop the teams with these new sensors that they've put on to kind of eliminate the possibility that they're going to run the tires below the mandated pressures surely there's no need to create more robust and um, durable tyres, if you like, because they're not going to be able to run them um, in the unsafe yeah. parameters. It's always been a problem with Pirelli since they became the tyre provider. They always seem to get that... They, they never seem to get that balance right between making tyres that are safe and tyres that make the racing more entertaining. And we're seeing it. We're seeing decisions getting made halfway through the season. It, it, do, it doesn't look good. But it will be interesting to see how these new tyres affect the pecking order. I'm not thinking about the likes of Red Bull and Mercedes. I'm thinking about the teams that are close to each other, like Red Bull and Ferrari, for example, because these tyre these changes must have some kind of impact, particularly on race pace. Mm. Yeah, it is really, it will have an effect of some sorts. And of course, coming up to the British Grand Prix, it makes sense to introduce more robust tyres. I think the last thing Pirelli would have wanted was to have a race at Silverstone. All of a sudden we end up with like tyre blowouts, like what we saw with Lewis Hamilton, especially given that we're going to have a full capacity crowd mm. at the British Grand Prix um, in front of all the British fans, Hamilton going down the Hamilton straight. The last thing they're going to want to see is Hamilton having a tyre blowout. Um, of course, with the new upgrades, apparently Mercedes are, are claiming they're going to bring, which is apparently going to close the gap to Red Bull. Or so some people say, and we'll have to wait and see how that works out. But I think the last thing we're going to want to talk about is how tyres or poor tyre construction kind of ruined the race for everybody. So, um, you know, from a safety perspective as well, I suppose it makes sense, but it's all a bit strange. You know, they're blaming the Red Bulls and Aston Martin and all of a sudden they've got these new tyres coming in. It's like, well... You know, if you're so confident that your tyres were fine, you don't need to make new ones, especially when you've uh, increased the regulations or changed the technical directive to stop this from happening. So um, all a bit strange. But I think we should say that Pirelli, overall, I think they've done a really good job since they've been in Formula 1. have come under a lot of scrutiny, but they're the only tyre manufacturers that's come across all these challenges and have met them to the best degree that they could. You know, others like Bridgeton, uh, Goodyear, Michelin tyres over the years have not, you know, the, by comparison, obviously things have changed and they've not been able to meet those requirements for one way or another. So um, hopefully this is the last we'll be talking about tyres. I know it's a very boring subject and even I've, I'm not an expert on it and even I don't find it overly interesting to be talking about that rather than the drivers and the cars, which are much, much more exciting and interesting to talk about. Um, 
But yeah, uh, that's all that we've got time for. Um, one thing we should note, guys, one thing to keep an eye out on is that the FIA and F1 might be showcasing a model car at the British Grand Prix, what we believe Ooh. could be a model of the 2022 car, which will be fairly similar to what a lot of the teams are going to be producing. Of course, a lot of them are running their new cars through their paces. Ferrari, of course, unveiled a brand new simulator, which, of course, they believe is going to be breaking edge or cutting edge technology, I should say, in terms of that area. So that could be really useful for their 2022 car. Charles Leclerc said he's already been driving in it and he says it's really, really great. So have to see how that works for them. So there's a lot of excitement at this uh, next weekend's British Grand Prix. And of course, I'm sure by the time that comes around, we're going to be um, either delighted at what happens this weekend, Courtney, or miserable, depending on which way it goes. Um, and of course, some of our Italian followers will, of course, be feeling the same way as us to a degree up until that game does happen. But so much more to talk about so um guys of course as we already mentioned if you are enjoying the content please do leave a like on the video and make sure to subscribe to the channel of course if you are watching on youtube and if you are following us on your favorite podcasting platform please make sure to follow and subscribe to us as well Courtney before we sign off is there anything else you wanted to add to that mm. it's coming on <laughs> Well, we'll find out on Sunday if football <laughs> is indeed coming. I certainly hope it is. Um, with all respect to uh, anyone that's not following England or our Italian followers, with all respect, it's it's coming home. We've got to be confident. Um, also, I should say, guys, a cheeky little plug before we do sign off. Um, I appeared on a episode of the Outlap F1 podcast earlier this week, uh, reviewing the Austrian Grand Prix with our friends over across the pond in America, Andy, James, John, and of course, Deanna. Those of you who might recognize her from Relapped F1 were so great uh, in hosting me and looked after me really well on the podcast. So thank you guys for that. Definitely check that episode out. It was a really, really good, fun episode to record with them. So if you haven't heard of them, check out Outlap F1 podcast. Really great guys. Uh, from America I think North Carolina New York Chicago I'm sorry if I've missed any out but yeah so many great people over there so definitely check that out but until then guys of course uh, we will have to bid you adieu so stay safe thanks for tuning in and we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 podcast it's coming home it's coming home Podcast Network.